The Water Values Podcast, Session 60. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my son Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey and thanks for joining me. Well, I hope you're doing great today, but no fears if not because your day is about to become great. Our guest today is DC Water's George Hawkins. The interview is relatively long, so I'm going to uh, just really have a brief introduction here and the outro will be very brief as well. But George does a great job of highlighting a number of important issues for water utilities He actually does my job for me by providing a few takeaways for our water leaders towards the end of the podcast. And if you like this interview, uh, I'd also recommend you check out my interview with Susan Latvala on the story behind Tampa Bay Water. Uh, That one's session 52 because I think George and Susan have both provide, they provide different perspectives of water utility leaders. And I think they are both just absolutely fantastic. So with that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, George, thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Greatly appreciate your time. To start off, could you please tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Sure. Um, and thank you for having me on uh, your show. I'm really uh, uh, delighted to be here. Um, I have a, a relatively unusual background, perhaps, uh, to be part of a, a major utility, although I've always been around environmental issues. I started as a private sector lawyer. Um, from there, I became an environmental lawyer. Then I became an EPA enforcement lawyer, and I used to do hazardous waste and water issues. Uh, from there, I became convinced. I spent a year uh, working for Vice President Gore back in those days um, and became convinced that the biggest single issue was how we use the land around us and what consequences that has to every other environmental question, whether it be water, air, land, food, habitat in our own communities. And I became convinced that the best way to manage, measure, and evaluate the decisions we're making was water. Everything that happens is reflected in good or bad in what happens to the water supply, water quality. So my orientation became more and more directed towards water issues um, over the years. Uh, Just prior to coming to D.C., I was running an organization that was all about rebuilding cities in New Jersey because we found that we were we had dropping water tables and water quality and quantity challenges in New Jersey because growth was spreading out over the landscape, both driving increased demand of water. At the same time, it was covering over recharge areas and reducing infiltration and all. So we were actually taking more of the, of the supply but adding less to it. And in a bank account, that's a disaster. And in water, that's a disaster. And the a mayor, uh, t- three mayors ago, Mayor Fenty brought me to D.C. to run the Department of Environment for the city of how you integrate environmental issues into a growing city like D.C. has been. And at DDOE, that was the agency I ran, I became convinced that by far the most significant actor connected to water issues in any city is the utility that's actually delivering these services. And so I came to D.C. Water five and a half years ago, and it's been an amazing ride. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's a a, a very interesting track that you've laid out there. How, how does someone who hasn't grown up in the utility business, how do, you know, what's your impression of how the 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 water utility business is run just kind of, you know, from an outsider's view? What 
Um, well, uh, fascinating. Um, I, I have a lot of uh, perspectives on that. The first is the water utility industry is run really well um, at some things by really good people. Uh, in, in most places, utility water utilities are sort of under the radar and are run by the people who technically know what the work is, which they do often on very tight budgets with a, with a customer or a populace that don't really understand what they do or, or how to value it. And that's a tough place for someone to be when you're delivering such an essential service with a customer base that may not know who you are or what you do. And the better you are at it, the less their people who you're serving will even be aware uh, that you're there because your pipes are hidden, the water just arrives at the, at the spigot, and then it goes down the drain and it disappears again. And so charging extra or raising more funds to support um, work like that that's so hidden is, is a real trick, particularly for people who often in the industry are coming at it from a technical point of view. So my, I've been enormously impressed with the public dedication of people in uh, the water utility world. I've been enormously impressed with the technical cap, uh, capabilities and their ability to get things done on very tight budgets. What happened at DC Water that I took the advantage of was two steps. One is my predecessor, Jerry Johnson, well-known in the industry, and he runs a very large water utility to the north of us in Maryland had been my predecessor, and he really operationally improved D.C., what we were known then as D.C. WASA, um, uh, immeasurably from when he started. And I would not be the right kind of candidate uh, for a leadership position in a utility if what the enterprise needed was hardcore operational improvements, because I certainly do not bring that kind of knowledge. Uh, and I still don't have that. I don't know a lot more about a utility now almost six years later than I did six years ago, but I still wouldn't be the one to come in and, and know the operational nuts and bolts. I just didn't grow up in the industry. On the other hand, in, in the board's judgment, fortunately for me, but certainly in mine as well, and I think this is probably true across the country, is the single biggest challenge the water utility world faces in the United States of America is we need to fundamentally update the infrastructure that delivers the service. We have to achieve better environmental results. We have enormous projects to undertake to solve infrastructure problems of the past, and we have to do that with a customer base that is not aware of who we are, what we do, or why it matters to them. And that does not mean um, that agencies don't need lots of engineering and all the rest, but the question of persuading the people you serve that they should be investing in all these major projects is ultimately not an engineering. It has an engineering component. You've got to be able to explain what you're doing and why, but it is a communications question, and it's understanding how the political system works and who are the players that will be making the decisions and influencing others to gain the support that utilities need in order to take on this next generation of work. And the board felt that was true, that we were operationally strong, but that the next step for D.C. Water wouldn't be to have a GM who really understood who could, be, could manage the plant, because we have someone who knows how to manage the plant. It was someone who would communicate and uh, make the case to the outside world for what we do, sort of transform our relationship with the people we serve so we can get the support to do the multi-billions of dollars of work that face us over the next decade. Well, it sounds like a perfect job for a, uh, a lawyer to exercise his uh, persuasive skills. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know. True. Uh, two, 
fronts. One is, yes, I totally believe in persuasion. Rarely do I ever try to beat anyone. It's I want someone to – either I'll end up agreeing with them because they persuaded me or they'll end up agreeing with me or somewhere in the middle. But I rarely go into a conversation feeling i got to beat somebody. But the or, But the other issue is that most of the major costs that we're facing in this world are being driven by laws. So understanding how the laws work, translating those mandates to the people we serve so that the that they can understand what's driving a lot of our work, that, that um, ha- having an understanding of the legal structure that these utilities function in is very relevant to the job because it's such a dominant force in what's driving most of our work. Right. And just a comment on some of the things you, you mentioned earlier. I remember when I first started practicing law in the late 90s and, and started representing utilities, you know, the, the conventional wisdom was to stay out of the papers, you know, just you don't want to be you don't want to be getting any press it's better just to keep your head down and and go with it and i i think over the last 15 17 years that i've been practicing i've i've seen this movement that you're talking about about we got to get out and get that message out uh has become much more to the fore and and so i'd like to talk with you a little bit about say your first first month at dc water what what did you do in order to kind of move DC water into that paradigm of of this operationally sound utility to adding the communication component sure um, and that's always a I, I, I generally adopt the same approach to any new organization um, I join and um, well I have no intentions of joining any new organizations now I actually have had uh, leadership positions in four or five different organizations over maybe a 10-year span um, and uh, my technique is always the same, that well, the first thing to do is listen and find out what's, what's meaningful, what's happened, what the organization has done to date. Um, and the reason I say that is I've had an experience with an enterprise in, that I worked for in the past where a very visionary leader came in, had an agenda that I actually ultimately was convinced was the right one, but there was tremendous strife and conflict in that enterprise because he came he came in and instantly said, here's where we're going, what we've been doing is wrong, and we're going there. And everyone, and most everyone in the organization started resisting that, even before they knew what it was, because they felt that this new person had come in and never even bothered to talk to the people in the enterprise to find out what they thought first. And uh, there's sort of some insult that they felt, that we're not dumb, we've been here a long time, we've been working hard, our, our views matter. So what I did my first took longer than a month, but I had small meetings um, with almost every employee in the enterprise where my objective was just to hear what's going on, what was on their mind, what were issues that mattered to them. And um, that's always my uh, sense first is before you communicate externally, you make sure you have a very strong sense of who you are. Um, and then when you do communicate externally, you make sure that values and principles that matter to the people on the inside are part of that communication because then that communication is theirs, not just the, the new chief. Um, so after a period of listening on the inside, we then engaged on a fully-fledged effort to um, redefine our external presence. Part of that was hiring new people, definitely brought in new talent who were very focused and, and had the, I have exactly the opposite view. I think not only do you not avoid being in the papers, you use every effort to get into the press every minute of every day, even when it's connected to an unpleasant situation. How can you turn that moment of attention to explain something that is part of your own mission, even if 
the instant event is not a positive one, say a water main break or otherwise. Um, but the second step, for example, is we had a public contest for what our new um, logo should be. And that had the advantage of getting 178 really funny entries. But um, it also was we weren't going to just figure out one and then tell everybody what it was. We asked everybody what we th they thought it should be first, and they sort of everyone by that manner either were part of the process or felt like if they wanted to be, they could have. So whatever we selected wasn't something we went off to a think tank somewhere with a media consultant and came back. No, we asked everybody, and in fact, it was one of our own employees that helped share us a prize for the ideas that went into our, our new logo. Um, and um, we paralleled that change of, of something that's very marketing-oriented, a logo, a tagline. I don't even remember the old tagline, but I do remember it was two sentences. The old logo, you couldn't tell what it was, even if you stared at it, because it was so busy and it was the red, white, and blue. It had all the elements of a DC logo, but it had the same elements of the DC logo that every other DC logo had. So you just couldn't tell what we were, and you couldn't read the two sentences of the tagline. And then you have a new one. We're DC water. It's DC in a water drop, and our tagline is water's life. And we have green and, and blue as our, as our colors for that. And it's become very ubiquitous, and it's all over the city. It's on all of our trucks, all of our buildings, and people really identify with it now. But the, one of the principal elements of it, again, always trying to gain the support of the existing personnel in the enterprise, because no matter what I say, I'm one person. John Lyle's in the room with me, our chief of external affairs. He's another person, but that's two of us. We have more of us that do external affairs, but there's 1,100 people who work for D.C. Water, and they live in neighborhoods uh, all over this community. And I wanted them to be an ambassador of this new name and so sort of the principles. So we just started talking internally first and then externally of we're not pollution people. We're the ones who clean the pollution. We're the most important environmental enterprise in Washington, D.C. We're the biggest recycling program. We take water off the Potomac. We deliver it to every single resident and business in the, in the nation's capital, an essential element to life. We then take it back after you have used it. We clean it on your behalf, and we put it back into the Potomac. And just sort of rephrasing our own thinking of who we are from a sewer company or, or delivering water in pipes and mains to the we're an environmental services company doing more to protect the health and welfare of every living organism in D.C. than any other enterprise. And you could see our own people, as well with pride, not in a bad way, because I always think pride goes before the fall, but, um, but really like, that's right, that is what I'm doing, that's why I value what I do. And so that right when we were announcing a new logo and a tagline, you have a, a parallel verbal presentation and, pre and speeches and outreach around the city. And, and actually, we've been, we've been talking to audience all over the country and the world about what we are as an enterprise and a new identity sort of on a values basis with a new identity on a visual basis melded together and really created a tremendous positive momentum. And it's opened doors to so many of the more operational and tactical um, changes we want to make that are the hardest, um, that aren't uh, marketing or visual. It's how are we doing this kind of work? What kind of techniques? What kind of equipment? What kind of training? But the momentum we gained from this whole sense of changing our sense of who we are and then also how we're presented to the public went hand in hand. And it's, uh, it's been a, a really fun process that I think has been quite successful. Yeah, I mean, your 
you're very well known for this change leadership, uh, uh, you know, brand that you've, that you've been able to, uh, instill at DC water. How do you keep the momentum going internally, uh, and avoid kind of that sense of ennui that, that employees, you know, so often hear what, you know, when they, if they hear management talking and you see eye rolls and things like that at, at other places, how, how have you been able to avoid those pitfalls? Gosh, uh, that's a good question because I never feel that here. I'm, I'm, what, what my experience is is, uh, I mean, first, I'm, I'm, uh, I have my challenges and faults, but enthusiasm is not one of them. I, I, I maintain my level of enthusiasm every day because it's true. It's, it's not something I fake at. I love the work we're doing, and I'm just the, the opportunities seem endless to me, even amidst all the challenges that come. And that helps. Um, recruiting really good people for some key positions or retaining others um, who are of a similar mindset uh, sort of begins to propagate itself. And then what is what has happened over the last and is growing in momentum. It's actually not going to ennui. It's going. It's it's increasing in momentum. Is the degree to which more and more people in the enterprise are getting visibility and acclaim for their idea that's now coming to the forefront. From uh, we did a, we're starting a whole innovations program here where any employee in the enterprise can uh, suggest any idea they want to that would make us better, faster, cheaper, perform higher, and we want it to be fun and interesting. But the person we featured as exemplifying in this really great video that was done on staff uh, by with our own resources was a gentleman in our in our shop who figured out this uh, very mechanical innovation to help lift manhole covers. And it, so this was not some sophisticated app on a phone, although we have some of those ideas too. This was, it shows him charting it out, drawing what it would be, using a blowtorch and sort of making this hard court thing and, and then welding it onto the handle of the, and that's our example for, uh, in our video, of what innovations we're talking about. And emphasizing how this touches everybody in the enterprise, someone who's uh, interested in what opens a manhole to a new app on the phone, means that everybody knows they have a role. And uh, we will highlight and give you a claim uh, if you step forward. And what I found is that uh, our only issue now is that we've got more good innovative ideas than we can support at any one time rather than the reverse. And that's a, that's a, world I, a, world, a challenge I'd like to have but um, it's just one, seer, one, one innovative issue after the other comes forward. If it's got merit, we'll, we'll do a pilot. If the pilot works, we're likely to implement it. And if we implement it, we will give who's ever involved a claim and highlight it and, and demonstrate how important it is to the city. And the, the sense of pride that comes from that, from the personnel who are involved, is great. And I think everybody wants part of it. So at the moment, anyways, I haven't seen any flagging interest here. I've only seen it grow. It's been really fun to watch. Well, that's great that you've been able to build that esprit de corps uh, within your within your work staff internally. Uh, you did mention that you, you brought some folks on at the beginning. Who? What were the, the initial hires? What what were the departments that you kind of beefed up? I... Sure. Well, you'd be no surprise. I mean, the, the trick coming in as uh, I'd been on the board of D.C. Water, so D.C. Wasa, as we were known at the time, so I had a, a more than a passing acquaintance with the enterprise from a governance perspective. 
But coming in, I really did not know the staff well, but I had been, uh, one of the questions I asked from members of the board who'd been there longer were who were the key members of the staff that I really should make sure were retained. Because when you make a changeover at the top, that is a moment in time, regardless of who the new person is or isn't, that other people often make the choice. Well, I was thinking of leaving or not, but now's the right time because someone new is coming in. And we definitely did not want to lose uh, a number of the really key performers. So I actually felt as my first job was to make sure, and for example, Len Benzen, who's our chief engineer, Walt Bailey, who's um, just today received a huge uh, engineering award uh, in New York City, who runs Blue Plains, Charles Kiley, who runs our distribution system. Um, I could go down the line that there were critical people who I, along with asking our own employees, that I made sure I spent a lot of time with so that they knew their views were valued and that I got a sense of what they felt was important for the organization. Because my first job really was to retain the real stars that were already here. Then the second one was to bring in some really uh, uh, talented additional talent. And the very first one, you will not be surprised, was the chief of our external affairs office. Um, and because we really did have, that wasn't bad people, a number of the people who were in the external affairs office back then are with us today, but the leadership of that office had the mindset that you just described, which is the best story about D.C. Wasa is no story. And I know where that perspective came from. It was when the era that most of the stories in the Washington Post were bad. <laughs> so that's what the, that's what the <laughs> story's going to be. No, we don't want a bad story. Who, who does? But I just wanted proactive, innovative. There's so much happening on the on the communication side with social media and everything else. It's just I needed someone who was very oriented towards that. And so that was my first management hire was a new chief of external affairs. Um, and John, who's sitting in the room with me now, actually that person moved on um, to a chief external affairs office for another big nonprofit with our blessing. He's still a good friend. But John came in and has just taken uh, what was excellent and made it even stronger. And, and we've, we've, we've tossed him more resources over time. He, he just persuaded me to hire a full-time social media person who's superb, a young guy, hysterically funny, great humor, but taking the kind of work that we do and communicating it to a whole other generation of our customers who don't take get news the way um, I do or um, and uh, but they're the folks who are moving into into DC in droves, and we have our we just got voted the best Twitter account, the public sector Twitter account in the district because and that's John who's here with me and Andy Lee, who's this <laughs> guy we hired, and they're funny and visual and but it's always getting the message across. So external affairs is where I focused first, and then unfolding over time, one of the advantages, huge advantages of the visibility we've gained is that a number of key positions have opened up since, and we've been able to acquire absolutely top talent from all over the country because DC Water has, so one of the, it wasn't the re original reason I, I was elevating our profile. The original reason was our customers needed to know who we were. We, we passed an 18% rate increase my first year as general manager. We weren't going to get support for that if we didn't start changing the way customers viewed us. <clears throat> but this, this, the benefit that, that has come with it is I just hired a chief operating officer. He had been uh, the innovator of the year when he worked for the water utility in Cincinnati. I hired a chief information officer. 
Well, he'd been um, the chief uh, of strategy and a vice president for Philadelphia Gasworks. I heard a, hired a fantastic new CFO who worked in the controller's office in New York City. I mean, we've been we look nationwide for the best talent we can find, and uh, the excitement that you generate in an enterprise starts building on itself. So more really interesting, exciting people want to join in, and when they come in, they gel, they add to the excitement, which then generates the next round of of um, talent acquisition, as it as it were. So. Um, so first was external affairs. I felt the most important initial question was how we communicated with both our own customers, I mean our own employees and our customers. And thereafter, that level of communication has allowed us to to identify and attract really top-notch talent for many of the other jobs that have been open. Yeah, I remember reading your blog post about the issuance of the Century Bond and how much credit you gave to your you know at the then time new CFO. Uh, for for thinking outside the box, and so that's that's fantastic. Uh, can we pivot away from the internal stuff and let's look at externally? Uh, when you know when when you're doing your outreach, you've mentioned social media. What's your perception of uh, and I'll say outreach, not just to the public, but also from the utility to the board. How how is the relationship? Let's start there first. How's the relationship sure. been between management and the utility with the board? Um, my maybe my primary job is management, outreach, and communication with the board. Um, obviously, the customers, but the actual governing body and the one that makes the decision about our budget, makes the decision about our rates, does oversight on all of our performance. And we have up to eight committee and board meetings of one sort or another in every month. Um, it's, just, it's just as few as four or five. It's as many as nine. But um, that's every month, month after month after month, except for August. And um, the board has been enormously supportive of us, even as we have radically changed so much of what we're doing. And some of those are not just changes that are cosmetic. It's partly involves investing almost $500 million in the digester project that we have on site. And I think the reason that the board has been supportive of us is not just because they agree with everything we do. Far from it. Actually, they're tough, and they ask lots of questions. But we communicate with them constantly and in-depth. We hide nothing. If we've made a mistake, we own up to it. And over time, even when you have mistakes, if the board knows you're honest, you're not trying to duck anything, and you're taking corrective measures and you're explaining how it all happened, is you build up a credibility with the board and a sense of of, of combined mission. They were all in this together trying to get somewhere rather than we're staff sort of trying to get somewhere and that's the board trying to hold us back or something. And so communication with the board, we have a monthly packet that goes to every member of the board. Um, it includes a two-page colorful um, uh, a grade chart where we have all sorts of, of um, measures of our performance, like any business, revenue, expense, debt service, all, all the numbers that you'd want to know, accounts receivable, accounts payable, how many people are hired, our, our environmental compliance, energy use, uh, how, how many of our first calls do we um, respond to within a certain period, how many water mains do we get within a certain period, all performance measures that are equal or comparable to any private firm. We report to the month board every month, and if they're not good, we highlight them and say, here's what we're doing to get them back in order. 
Um, so the communication with the board is very thorough. It's time-consuming, uh, but I think it's a tremendous investment and worth every minute because, again, not because they rubber stamp us, quite the opposite. They put us through our paces, but once we've put, been put through our paces, sometimes that means we change what we're doing because going through the paces has meant we or they have evaluated and come up with some new ideas or new directions but we come to a joint conclusion of what to do and then we're behind it and we've gotten tremendous support i give the board uh, a lot of credit uh, for what we've been able to do here because they have been thorough we are better because of it and then they back us when we when we start doing these projects so Board communication is, is just part and parcel to our success and to our future. Yeah, I would agree with that. I've, having represented utilities with great boards and with not so great boards, uh, the, the board can make a tremendous difference. And the communication, I would agree with you, with that board is is so important. Um, how about the customer base? What what are some of the innovative things that you're you're doing with your you know outreach to customers? You mentioned you know your Twitter uh, handles. What what are some of the other things you're doing on that front? Um, well, I'll tell you one of our first philosophies, and I'll come back to some of the techniques, um, but one of the first philosophies was to shy away from nothing. Um, D.C. Wasa, as we were known, about uh, a little more than 10 years ago, and you may recall this, there was um, a challenge of a lead spike in the water system in the district because a treatment process had changed and the treatment in the district is done by the Army Corps of Engineers at a place called the Washington Aqueduct. So it actually was a treatment change by an enterprise that was not D.C. Wassa. D.C. Wassa at the time, but D.C. Wassa is the one who distributed that water to our customers, and there was a lead spike. And while the story of what happened is reasonably murky, the underlying sense that our customers ended up with is that we were slow to the switch in warning them and being honest about what happened. Now, I'm not taking a point of view as to whether that, in fact, did happen, because I just wasn't here. But that was the perception, perception the customer base has. And it sort of fits in with the notion of it's better to have no story than any story. So the degree to which we can not talk much about something that's going on that's too bad or, or say as little as possible is just sort of part of the whole ethic of communicating and being as out of the media as possible. But it totally backfired, because our customer base started, I believe, lost some faith that D.C. Wassa had as its primary goal the public health and safety of the people we serve. And once you lose that, why would you support a rate increase for an enterprise that's not looking after my public health? It's just it's, you start right out of the gate with that negative impression. So we've, we've taken the point of view of, of being uh, – more aggressive, more open, and more communicative about our problems, not just about the cool things we're doing. So uh, I think since we've been here, we've had one, two boil water alerts, one do not use the water alert, and two um, uh, water sort of monitoring sessions where we didn't actually stop the water, but we said there was a risk. But for boil water alert or do not use, which are the two big ones, um, in every case, as soon as we thought there could be contamination, we called the alert. Then we walked door to door. We used door hangers. We went to the council member's office. We used Twitter. We used Facebook. We used everything. We just deployed all of our media resources, including old-fashioned having employees go to each door and knock on it and say, look, there's an issue in this neighborhood. And the news always scurries to the, to the scene because that's pretty interesting media. And I'm always fascinated by when the in 
interview people on the street about the problem, there's always two answers, one of which is expected. The other wasn't at first, but it's really good for us ultimately amidst this huge problem. One is, gosh, this is an inconvenience, kind of a pain. Of course, not good to not be able to use the water or to have to boil it. But the second one was, but I'm so glad our utility is taking our public health so seriously. And they're being so direct and communicative about it to us right out of the gate. What's interesting, and I knock on wood as I say this, in all three of the cases where we called, I think it was two do not use, uh, two boil water and one do not use, but in all the cases where we've done it, it's turned out that contamination was not a real risk. So we had seen that there might be a risk. We called the alert. We took the protective actions, but it turned out that what was a risk had not come to fruition for one reason or another. And that was, and again, our customer base was even happier. Of course, they didn't face a risk, but to know that we called the alert even in cases where we weren't even certain that the risk was true. We just thought it was a high enough likelihood that it was uh, the better part of valor to, to, to make the call. That, I think, has changed the way the people who uh, we serve thinks about us, that we are a public health agency. Your health is the most important, and all the communication and effort we do is centered around that core issue. And perhaps changing that sense of us was was uh, the most important because if your customer base loses their, their faith when you're delivering something like water, which is essential to every living organism in the region, um, and they lose faith that, that your public health comes first, every, every other fun little thing you do seems to sort of be tarnished because, oh, you do all these nice things, but you don't care about our public health, so all the rest of it seems... Um, almost counter, you know, like you're doing all these marketing things, but you're not taking care of your core business. Having done that, we do all sorts of fun stuff. Metro is the big public transportation system in Washington, and um, John, who's sitting here in the room, uh, John Lyle, runs a water taste test with his team that you come out of the metro station and we'll set up tables, and we have people testing our, in a blind taste test, our water versus Deer Park, one of the other bottled water companies. And we are very pleased to find that 60% or so of the people uh, who are do a blind taste test think our water is better or they can't tell the difference. And we remind them that our water is 100 times to 1,000 times less expensive. Um, but that's just one way with just whoever happens to be coming out of a metro station to think about us and think about our products. Yes, we have our main tweeter, tweet account, which is DC uh, Twitter account, but we also we have these big... Um, tunnel machines that are building deep tunnels underground, and each one of them has their own Twitter account. And they're hysterical. They argue among themselves, like, who's the best and the fastest and who's the most important. And so we do inject humor into it. We have a, a, a mascot. We have actually two costumes. One is a boy and one is a girl. So it's either Wendy or Wendell, the water drop. Um, and Wendy is very well known around the city. He goes to events. We do events in schools. Uh, on a regular basis, I was just down on the Anacostia with a group cleaning up and creating a turtle habitat right next to one of our big pump stations. Um, now in D.C. water, um, we have our trucks are all painted white, and with the D.C. and a water drop as our logo in, in blue and green, and then water's life. That jumps off the side of all of our trucks. But we also use the sides of our trucks, and they're all over the city, to advertise our product, drink tap, cost 
$1 versus $1,000 for the, for, I mean, all sorts of messages about us using our own vehicles as a free mechanism to put that message in front of our, uh, the people we serve while we're doing the work. Because I also want people to know when you see that work out in the street, and I had a sense for what my dollars are going for. All those, the people doing that work in any kind of weather, any time of day to get your water back on. Um, so that it's, it's really the sky's the limit for what is possible um, on communication. We're always looking for new avenues. We have a, a water buggy that we take the big, I mean, it gets really hot in D.C. in the summer, 9,500, 105 degrees and humid. And we've got this water buggy that you could connect up. We connect up to a fire hydrant, and we give out free water at big public events. With a big, and of course, everything is logo to DC water. So just have a misting tent that we take on to public events. Um, once you start thinking about it, you actually have more ideas and opportunities than you could ever possibly undertake. So you have to start um, hiring people like John to figure out which one of the best ones. But we're always trying new things and always out there. And my guess is that our logo as a government agency, that we're one of the most high-profile uh, enterprises in a city full of external affairs offices. <laughs> and um, one of the reasons is we have a product that's everywhere. We have a connection into every enterprise, every business, every home. It's a great product to have because it's so fundamental. And as soon as you start thinking of that intimate connection you have with everybody. There is nobody who doesn't use our product in one way or another, because we do both, drinking water, and then once you've used the water, you visit a, uh, a restroom in Dulles Airport, and that is connected to D.C. water, because uh, we're a regional service on that front. So um, we touch everybody, and in ways that are easy to discuss and talk about, and really exciting. The other, by the way, we also have really cool stuff. Our, our Blue Plains facility, which is the largest advanced wastewater treatment plant in the world, but our other pump stations around town, the underground, it's not like you can take people down there every day, but we take reporters from these news organizations and take them down to an old 22-foot diameter brick arch sewer that was built in 1880 that's right near the Capitol. That is really cool to see the craftsmanship of what these folks built 130 years ago that are still working or not, in which case we're making the case for why we need to increase our rates to update uh, centuries-old infrastructure. Um, we're, we've been impressed. We had a humorist from the Washington Post come because we named one of our screens after him. Um, and a screen is probably the most gruesome thing in there because <laughs> it's screening out all the crud before it gets into the treatment plant. That's yeah. pretty pretty tough stuff. But he, uh, he had a great kick out of it. So he wrote a really funny article about us. But all of those things, like I said, the, the sky is the limit when you have something as ubiquitous and as important as water. And uh, that's our job. I'm, I, always, I always think we've been handed a, an incredible gift to be able to have such a great um, service and product to deliver. Well, it's fantastic to hear you talk with such great enthusiasm about, about D.C. water. And, you know, as you reflect on the water industry and the water utility industry, you know, what what do you see as the top three things that our water utility leaders need to be doing uh, or see as the most pressing issues in the future? Um, that's a great question. Um, and I would say the first is on communication. Uh, one of the great strengths of our industry that I think to date we haven't engaged anywhere near as much as we could, and there's something called the Value of Water Coalition that is working hard on this. Um, is that we're everywhere. 
there are very few enterprises that are connected to every single home and business in the country one way or the other than water, because it is essential. You can't function without us. And most of those places are getting a bill and getting an insert and getting getting services from us. And if we started thinking not directly political, this is not being in favor of a Democrat or a Republican, but being in favor of the kinds of steps that can support us improving the service we deliver, which is an economic investment, it is a environmental investment, it is a public health investment, it's rarely can you spend a dollar that achieves so many good outcomes in our industry, um, that turning first to how can we communicate better with the people we serve to support ends that we know serve us and them would be priority one because without a, a populace that better understands what we do none of the rest of the things can happen it really stems from people understanding and appreciating and we hope strongly supporting what we seek to do the second is uh, to run an enterprise with innovation in mind um, it is regularly said that our organi- our enterprises are conservative and don't like risk. And I actually think that is right, but for a right reason, which is if you have a limited budget and you're running a facility that's going to deliver drinking water to people, we can't be a, a firm that tries out a new product that fails, like new Coke, and have to go back to the old system if what happened in the middle was some contamination problem to our residents. D.C. Wassa was the example with that treatment change at Aqueduct. That wasn't done with any ill intent in mind. That was an improvement, they thought, and for certain circumstances it was, but they didn't realize it was going to cause lead to leach. So there was an innovation and a change that led to three or four years of real challenges with lead in water that we're still getting over today. And if you're running a water treatment facility, your reaction to that would be, my gosh, we better be extra careful before we try anything new because we can't be wrong. Can't, we're not like a research department in a tennis shoe factory where some design that you don't like doesn't matter to anybody. We make a mistake in the water industry. It is an immediate public health challenge. However, that does not mean we don't have creative and innovative people. Quite the opposite. My experience in this industry is that it's filled with people who every single day are solving problems on tight budgets with limited resources by being creative and innovative with an almost endless series of challenges that are both expected and unexpected. So creativity and innovation is in the DNA of the water world. The question is how to deploy it so we can continue to improve our productivity, innovate our techniques, in a way that doesn't put the public under threat. And I I definitely think that can be achieved, but it is something that has to be focused on explicitly. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens when you focus on it and uh, try to drive it as an outcome. Um, The third is is really on a matter of of law and cost, and it's why the first two make so much difference. If we communicate better and we show that we're being innovative and spending dollars better, so your rates are going farther because we're innovating and our productivity is getting better. It connects back to the third, which is so much of what we do in this industry is being dictated by the laws of the land and the regulations of the land, some of which, in my judgment, even though I used to be an EPA enforcement lawyer, just don't make the economic sense that they did 30 or 40 years ago because the costs today to remove the next digit of pollution is a hundred times what it was 10 years ago. 
and does it make sense or not to continue to change taking out small digit amounts of pollutants at a hundred times the cost or should we be deploying those public funds somewhere else and that is a question of policy and law but i don't think we can have influence on those kinds of questions until we put those first two pieces in place which is a really good communication strategy with the people we serve and second, demonstrating that we're being innovative and creative to save them money so that we can third, influence them about what are appropriate regulatory outcomes that make sense on a financial and a technical basis. And those three things are, are what I'd put first. Terrific. Well, George, thank you so much for your time. You've been absolutely fantastic. Uh, for those folks who'd like to find out more about you and DC Water, where would you send them? Sure, there's two places. Um, we, we, DCWater.com is our uh, uh, website, and from there you can get to our Facebook page, our really fun uh, Twitter account, and as well as a whole slew of other uh, resources. And I write a blog, as you mentioned, that uh, I go into some depth on some of these questions, and that's georgehawkins.net. So folks are, we, we'd love to have, uh, and, and by the way, we're always interested in new ideas. So if someone comes and sees something we're doing and they think there's some way to do better, there's places all over in our uh, in our website to send us information. We're always open to new and good ideas, and uh, bring them on. Terrific. Well, you know, my son's in D.C. now for his eighth grade uh, eighth grade D.C. trip, so if, I'll ask him if he has any suggestions when he gets back. But um... fantastic. <laughs> love having. All right. Thanks, George. Okay, my pleasure. You betcha. Bye. Okay, well, I hope you liked that interview with D.C. Waters' George Hawkins. It's great that water leaders like him have been so willing to spend some of their over-allocated time to discuss issues important to the water industry. And he provided three great takeaways at the end of the podcast that our water leaders need to be thinking about, communication, innovation, and regulation in that order. Also, as I mentioned in the intro, check out session 52 of the podcast to hear Susan Latvala's discussion of Tampa Bay Water and her years on the board of that utility. So you can check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 60. Leave a comment on the show notes or email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993, and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. And please do me a favor. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast directory on which you listen to the show. That's a great way for people to find out about the podcast. And also, please sign up for the Water Values newsletter and take the listener survey, both of which can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.